0: This episode of Energy Sense is brought to you by IHS Markets Financial and Capital Markets Energy Advisory Group. Our team of experts provides the investment community with actionable insight and integrated thought leadership that identify the trends and trend makers of global energy markets. Solutions cover the full energy and natural resources sector, from traditional fossil fuels to emerging clean tech ideas and supply chains, and are available via recurring reports, webinars, robust data sets, and personal engagements with experts.
1: All right. Welcome back to Energy Sense, an IHS market podcast that covers all topics on the intersection of energy and finance. This is Hill Vaden here today with Ed Kelly, who is a vice president and gas market expert within our Climate Sustainability Group. Ed, how are you doing? Good,
0: Hill. Thank you for having me.
1: Yeah, thanks for uh, thanks for joining. This is a, 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 so, so we're here to talk about natural gas and its role in call it a, a a lower carbon future, um, which is a question that you and I have been talking here the past couple of weeks about this. And I, I've been curious, you know, in particular of, of about almost uh, a, a lack of love for natural gas, um, to, to despite some of the um, you know, re- reduction in emissions that, that comes with natural gas. Um, and so this, you know, I, I think is a, a a well-timed conversation i know for at least me and and i i hope others you know also enjoy it but it sounds like you've been doing a lot of work on this as part of some scenario kind of long-term scenario planning
0: well we have um you know at ihs market we approach the scenarios from a variety of different ways and one thing uh, i've been struck by in the natural gas markets is that one school of opinion is you know, know this fuel is an integral part of the energy future, decarbonized or not, uh, and therefore there's a growth story here, even in a decarbonizing environment. And it goes all the way down to an increasingly in- influential school, which you know, your lack of love is a diplomatic way of putting it. <laughs> you know, it's sort of active opposition to any natural gas-based development. Uh, first, you know, let's do let's stop first, mm-hmm. then uh, ask questions later regarding cost feasibility, something like that. And natural gas has no role or is not discussed. And um, you know, there's such a wide range of possibility in between those two extremes. The challenge in addressing a future like that, uh, a decarbonizing future, is that you have to pick a decarbonization pathway. So, I mean, at IHS Market, we pick several across several dimensions. We've chosen one in which carbon capture and sequestration plays a material role uh, in the future decarbonization path. Uh, We've chosen one in which sort of a variety of technologies play an influential role. And frankly, you know, finally, within North America, we've just you know, shove decarbonization into place. We have created an endpoint of a net zero Carbon emissions mm-hmm. future by 2050, and let the chips fall where they may in that kind of future to address gas and power markets. The main thing I'm struck by is that gas survives in all of those. Gas survives. Does it thrive? Uh, depends on your definition of thriving. But you know, gas does more than survive in all of those scenarios. To, you know, regardless of what sort of decarbonization pathway you choose, is it the growth fuel of the future? the way arguably it might have been 10 or 15 years ago? Probably not, you know, you probably wouldn't define it as that, but it does more than survive. There's a lot of work to be done in the gas space in all three of those.
1: Well, and for for context, how would you describe the past 10 or 15 years, you know, in terms of, you know, thriving versus uh, more than surviving? I mean, when I look at natural gas, you know, that there was so much excitement, you know, early on with, with shale gas and you know all the work that Chesapeake and everybody was doing, and um, you know a, a lot of talk on you know gas used and vehicles. You know, I, I remember there used to be a, a CNG-powered motorcycle that would show up at conferences with uh, Aubrey McClendon you know, trying to develop new market for it. But but it has the price fell, you know, from what like $60 an M to $3 an M, and and has kind of been on a treadmill since then, since since what, for the past 10 years?
0: Well, absolutely. So suddenly it became a cheap fuel, Mm -hmm. Uh, predictably cheap with an overwhelming resource base. You know, it's been a fuel in search of a market for the past decade with the shale revolution. And in fact, the market's grown by 40 plus percent. Over the past ten or eleven years, you know, domestic or global? domestic North American U.S. and Canadian. So, you know, from the 70s, billions of cubic feet per day to over well over 100 billions of cubic feet per day um, as we're sitting here right now. So, um, you know, you're, you're looking at a fuel that has been on a rapid upward growth trajectory. Whether that was sustainable for the long term to begin with, decarbonization or no. Is an open enough question. You know, does decarbonization reverse that? You, know, you bet it. It does reverse that longer term. Uh, so the excitement around natural gas, and frankly, the acceptance of natural gas from both sides of the political spectrum, which really began under the Clinton administration, you know, allowed and enabled gas to encroach into a lot of those markets. And with a consistent cheap fuel, you had. You know, exploration into a lot of alternative uses, you know, with mm-hmm. an overwhelming resource base and a consistently cost effective resource base, you know, including in the transport sector. So, you know, absolutely, perhaps this growth trajectory was never sustainable, you know, uh, in the scheme of things that we've seen over the last 10 or 11 years. But does decarbonization actually get rid of it? You know, not really. Uh, So it doesn't continue to grow as it has. It doesn't continue to grow like that. But just mathematically, in our view, consumption, if you force decarbonization in the U.S. and Canada, consumption goes all the way back down to 2009 levels again. So it's as if the shale revolution never happened. But uh, it's still very much a large business and considerably larger than... Many of us, you know, in living memory have for the business size, you know, considerably larger than it was in the 80s and 90s, for example, even in 2050 in a forced decarbonization scenario in North America. So there's a lot of work to do, a lot of investment to occur in the natural gas space
1: longer term, regardless. So so looking at, I mean, decarbonization, I interpret that a lot of the the, the goals of decarbonization are emission related and natural gas effectively killed coal. Um, in, in terms of, you know, the, the effect on emissions, why is there such a disconnect here uh, with, with and, and I'm not trying to, to sell anybody on the merits of natural gas or anything like that, but but there just seems to be that the natural gas got us to a, you know, a, a better place w- when looking at emissions and, and now in, in many respects, it's out of the, out of the headlines.
0: Well, natural gas helped get us to a better place. There's no doubt about that. Um, You know, natural gas does benefit and continues to benefit from the fact that from a carbon perspective, there are worse things out there. You know, (laughs) it's the the least bad of the fossil fuels. Uh, Or, you know, I I wouldn't put this on an industry banner, but the fuel that's difficult to avoid, you know, (laughs) it's just hard to avoid using natural gas and deliver, you know, economic primary energy in a reliable sense. You know, that's a a tough thing to get around. Uh, But the combination of reduction in use of coal, you know, renewables becoming more economic and increasing as part of the energy mix, natural gas increasing as part of an energy mix, you know, resulted in more than a 10% reduction in CO2 emissions in North America, you know, also since around 2005, for instance. So Mm -hmm. we've made progress from a CO2 perspective, especially from an overall emissions perspective with natural gas playing a critical role in that as long as there remains coal in the world and in north america then the impact of renewables is shared between natural gas and coal so as long as there remains a certain amount of coal in the energy mix in the world and in north america then the impact of renewables on natural gas specifically is muted by the fact that the impact first is on coal so um, that opens a window for natural gas to survive actually increase a little bit in the near future Uh, in our carbon sequestration scenario for instance if carbon capture and sequestration takes hold as an investment takes hold as an opportunity, uh, you know, natural gas use is flat straight through to 2050 in a decarbonization scenario, uh, globally and in North America, you know, it doesn't really decline from 2020 levels. So you know, we're looking at a fuel that is sustained if carbon capture and sequestration takes hold as both an investment opportunity and a part of the overall you know, energy mitigation.
1: Look. And is that tied to a maturation of hydrogen? Uh, a lot
0: is tied to a maturation of hydrogen <laughs> and as an opportunity for natural gas. So yes, it's tied to a maturation of hydrogen. Uh, but it's also tied to, I think the technical reality that it's it's a little more convenient or a little less inconvenient to uh, capture and sequester from natural gas based sources than potentially from other sources. You know, our overall the hydrogen does represent a material market opportunity for natural gas in a decarbonizing environment, as does renewable natural gas. So, you know, RNG becomes kind of a, a material part of the supply mix. You notice it on a graphic, you know, but it's not a huge amount of the supply mix from our perspective. I mean, it's just the reality is 3 to 10x you know, a conventional natural gas source, you know, that's what you're looking at. You're looking at widely dispersed sources of renewable natural gas, you know, small volumes, uh, relatively dirty required treatment heavy requirements to get it into the natural gas grid and disperse to broader markets. But hydrogen is much more material than that potentially.
1: And is hydrogen growing as natural gas stays flat in this world that you described Uh, it is uh,
0: in the the strictest world you know just rough figures for example if when we force decarbonization within North America look if you force decarbonization if you say we as a society choose to decarbonize Mm -hmm. full stop by 2050 or 2060 you know what are reason pathways to get there if if that's your starting point or your analysis? Uh, hydrogen has to play a fairly significant role in that. Uh, investments are going on right now. Steel is going in the ground or plastic is going in the ground in this case uh, in in Europe, uh, in you know increasing experiments in other areas of the globe, including in North America. so, uh you know hydrogen has to play a role so how do you produce the hydrogen well you know you use excess power from renewables or you use good old natural gas and mm-hmm. separate the methane molecule uh, that could be a significant portion uh it's one of the larger consuming sectors from our perspective given the overall energy mix requirements the possible role of hydrogen in it uh you know it's about 20 percent of the natural gas market by 2050 in a world like that, in which decarbonization is forced in North America. So yeah, it's significant as a market for natural gas. uh,
1: So if natural gas stays flat as hydrogen grows, is it where's the decline in in consumption coming from? Uh, Most of it's in the power sector,
0: direct power generation. You know, once you lose coal as a foil, as a bogeyman in power, Mm -hmm. you know, once you lose that, the full impact of growth in renewables, you know, hits natural gas as a consuming sector. So, um, you know, power consumption decreases drastically and natural gas is pushed to, you know, a smaller number of peaking hours to maintain overall system reliability. You know, batteries begin to encroach on that gas roll and peaking for power generation. So that's the largest sectoral decline. The other sectors are relatively sticky. Then you're looking at exports. Okay, well, you know... (laughs) The global role of coal is still very strong. Uh, mm-hmm. and the need for natural gas to move somewhere in the world, especially in the developing world, is still very strong. So it's not obvious that exports would decline at all necessarily. The industrial market's relatively sticky as well because the methane molecule is pretty useful to, right. <laughs> to make fertilizer and in, in, in industrial processes. So, you know, methanol, for example. So Both hydrogen encroaches on that to some extent, but natural gas gets part of the hydrogen market uh, and the residual gas consumption in the industrial sector is still fairly strong. Uh, Residential and commercial sectors, I mean, we're just not going to replace all of the home heating equipment and business heating equipment soon. That's going to take a process over decades and it will be expensive and relatively slow. So, those sectors, while they decline, that tends to be a fairly uh, slow trajectory of decline, even when you force decarbonization within North America. So, you know, natural gas consumption, as I said before, you know, our endpoints around 65 billion cubic feet per day, which is somewhere between the 2009 and 2010 level. You know, that leaves a lot of work to be
1: done. And that's on a forced decarbonization path.
0: That's on a forced decarbonization path. Uh, so what about,
1: I mean, if we're looking at more of a standard, you know, here's what we, you know, think is going to happen, you know, a, a more kind of higher probability scenario.
0: Yeah, our, our base case, the natural gas market tends to grow to grow to an extent, you know, while there's still coal in power generation uh, to displace, to replace. The gas market grows let's say into the early 2030s levels off from there as exports offset a decline in the power generation sector that we expect under any circumstances anyway in our in our base case circumstance so i mean it adds up to you know approximately a a 10 percent increase in the overall gas market size from our base case perspective and then uh you know, gas consumption levels off. On net, it declines very slightly uh, from 2030 to 2050 in our base case. So, you know, this decline from 100 billion cubic feet per day down to 65, you know, is fairly significant, but we didn't get to 100 billion cubic feet per day until very recently, you know? And so, like I pointed out, you know, 65 was seen in 2009, 2010, so this is a new world for us being in this, in a high consumption uh, era that we're in for natural gas. So, you know, from our base case perspective, it levels off a little bit more growth and then leveling off. And of course that requires a huge amount of churn uh, by the producers, a lot of work by the producers. Uh, But, you know, in a, in a world in which it grows, then levels off, you're still looking at a lot of oil production. You're still looking at a lot of associated gas thrown off. Uh, So the, the room before other producers is fairly constrained, even in our base case world.
1: And how, I mean, what's the runway? I mean, are we talking, you know, in terms of that coal displacement, or are we talking 10, 20 years? Or, you know, does the level off happen sooner sooner than perhaps many expect? Uh, It's kind of, it's around 10 years in North America. Uh,
0: By 2030, coal as a part of the generation mix is pretty small, Uh, so displacing the remaining coal by 2030 in North America isn't going to help gas a lot at that point so gas is more or less fully subject to competition with renewables by 2030 that's in either world by the way that's in decarbonization that's in a base case world because this is the near decade you know there's mm-hmm. just a certain number of dynamics that are, that are going to stay in place you know, for this decade that we know about so globally it's more a 20 to 40 year process okay obviously the world has to make a very different kind of decision to displace coal Will replace existing coal. That's a large, a large number in the developing world, right. and especially, of course, China and India, but um, other areas as, as well, parts of Southeast Asia. So that kind of dynamic takes decades and gives gas globally a lot of running room and tends to sustain that export market for gas out of the U.S. and Canada, frankly.
1: And is this growth I mean if gas is going to be growing in this uh, in this type of environment, is that a quiet growth? We talked at the beginning of the podcast about gas being kind of unloved right now. Um, do people start talking about it or, or is it just kind of a, a quiet a quiet growth that it happens and pay attention? I don't know that there's any room for quiet out there at this point.
0: <laughs> In parts of my career, gas has been sort of quietly under the radar screen. I could have argued that, you know, pipeline development tended to be, you know, a technocratic decision rather than a political one. Uh, I think it's squarely within the realm of politics. I don't know that I would characterize any growth as quiet at this point, (laughs) but, you know, nevertheless, it kind of happens. You know, there are new gas customers. There are... especially in the smaller sectors, there is an ongoing kind of industrial complex that burns a lot of natural gas. There is an ongoing role for natural gas in the power generation space, you know, as we begin to displace coal uh, in in larger volume for the remainder of the volume of coal generation. Uh, So, you know, no, I wouldn't go with quiet there, Hill, but I would (laughs) kind of uh i would say it happens but you know there is a limit to it even in our base case uh once you do get rid of that coal once you renewables continue to increase um, and continue to be be competitive uh in the overall energy mix frankly you know there's a limit to the growth that we see for gas but it's still strong i mean it's you know 10% higher than it is today today is 40% higher than it was 10 to 15 years ago so that takes a lot to sustain a lot of development a lot of investment to simply sustain that level of consumption
1: and how much investment is required in things like power plants i mean do, do we need to start building more gas fired power plants to to meet some of the base case forecasts
0: a little bit but not much you know a gas fired generation used to be for those that have gray hair you know kind of in the 15 to 20,000 megawatts a year range to sustain system reliability and and account for power demand growth you know with the growth in renewables that we could reasonably expect with the growth in battery generation we could reasonably expect the gas generation in our view that development goes down to the three to five thousand megawatt range annually so by the end of this period even in our base case you know let alone decarbonization scenarios. Just in our base case, by the end of the period, gas becomes is behind batteries in terms of mm-hmm. capacity development annually. You know, by 2040 to 2050, and it's down to that three to five thousand megawatts a year kind of range. So yes, there's a little bit of need for gas development, especially peaking gas development. Of course, you know, well located relative to power load volatility, for example. So you know, that's what we're looking at. Okay. And so,
1: how how should an energy investor be, be, be looking at natural gas uh, these days? There's, uh, you've seen some activity, I suppose, on uh, you know the upstream side, you know, where, where there was just a, a recent merger between you know uh, a gas producer and a Permian producer, um, which increased that operator, or the combined operators, or I suppose decreased uh, the, their carbon exposure just as a result of the, the the gas in the mix. Sounds like power plants are gonna be perhaps few and far between. Infrastructure you know, pipelines don't seem to be getting built uh, with much ease. How how should investor be looking at this? Well, that as a sector, there's a continuing
0: amount of work to be done. There's a continuing a, a, amount of investment requirement uh, to sustain loads that it's difficult for gas to actually go away as part of the energy mix. So there will be a role for the marginal producer. There will be a role you know, we, we do think intrastate pipeline development will be required on some level and is likely to happen on some level. We do think interstate development subject to federal regulation mm-hmm. is so highly uncertain at this point that it's difficult to get done. Uh, now. You know that constrains Appalachia as a producing region so uh, in a decarbonization scenario where the transportation market for oils oil products goes down fairly significantly you know that leaves a lot of the low-cost gas out of the mix so within North America you've got to invest in other sources of supply eventually uh, that are neither Appalachia nor you know associated with oil production so in in the base case that happens that starts to happen in the in really the 2030s uh, when you've got to flatten out that other sources of supply uh, similar story in a decarbonization scenario where you need to keep the other sources of supply running because you lose a lot of your associated gas uh, midstream investment, you know, a lot of ongoing investment to maintain it, a lot of you know, potential hydrogen blending-related investment, potential hydrogen infrastructure-related investment in a decarbonization scenario. So these are activities that gas companies should be well-positioned to participate in uh, in a decarbonizing
1: future. Mm-hmm. And, and so where, I mean, if we're looking at... Um you know we're sitting here june 21 and and we're looking for leading indicators of you know whether we're on these forest decarbonization paths or or, you know perhaps a continuation of status quo or somewhere in the middle what are the things that we should be watching Uh,
0: well obviously politics and law and regulation because Mm -hmm. if we're going to force ourselves that's a social decision (laughs) To some extent, and we'll have warning, uh, and the signposts for that kind of scenario are clear. Um, I would look as well uh, in the developing world you know, whether the movement to decarbonization goes, you know, beyond signaling to reality um, in China, India, other uh, parts of the developing world, or whether, you know, I, the role of, you know, sort of politics versus cost optimization. Mm-hmm. I would say, uh, you know, if it's cost optimization, then natural gas probably go, you know, increases globally fairly significantly before it decreases. You know, and I cost-optimized world of reducing carbon emissions, then you'd probably reduce coal significantly and gas would have a role in the uh, replacement of coal as well as renewables. And that would be, you know, in a more economically driven fashion globally, that would be a significant driver for gas and for gas exports from North America in a politically driven world. you're probably going to want you know go more toward renewables and try to avoid fossil fuels generally. So, I mean, that's kind of the fulcrum that I would recommend looking at uh, the extent to which cost versus economics drive or cost versus politics drives decisions and what a given decision
1: looks like in that spectrum. Well, and so, the consumer, I mean, the, the consumer is also the voter in many of this, right? So, so that, uh, that 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 cost decision may impact some of the political decision as
0: well. Well it should. Um, I mean power rates have been a you know a socialized cost for a long time (laughs) and not only this country but worldwide it's been uh, a political issue uh, Mm -hmm. as well as a technocratic one for a long time. But it's interesting I mean you know California has been on the front line of this because incomes are high and climate is mild you know (laughs) so energy cost per dollar of spend on the coast of California is low in comparison. So power rates can go up and nobody cares as much if you're living in coastal California. Now, if you're in the Central Valley of California, too dang bad, you have less income and you need a lot of air conditioning, you know. But uh, so the politics of that, that cost, enables the politics that California has experienced over the last couple of decades, for example. Other areas are much stickier wickets. You know, the heating load in the Northeast and Midwest, for example, uh, is a political issue. And converting all of that to power comes at a cost that is felt by more people with somewhat less deep pockets. So the political issues do vary, depending on where you are and,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and how they're addressed. So, uh, I don't think the politics is going out of this uh, necessarily. I think there will potentially be pushback, you know, at some point of, you know, cost increase and encroachment, uh, but we'll see.
1: Yeah. So, so you know, maybe just to kind of summarize here and and, and wrap up. I mean, it sounds like, it, and, and you know, a lot of the work that you've been doing, gas is going to to. to remain a uh, significant part of our energy future uh, in in almost any scenario.
0: Well, it is, and that's really a message that I wanted to uh, get out, that no matter how we address decarbonization, whether it's force it with an endpoint of net neutrality for North America, or whether it's sort of a multi-level technological advance, approaching a Paris plus, you know, Mm -hmm. kind of world globally, or we allow carbon capture and sequestration to influence the decarbonization pathway, natural gas plays a strong role uh, in the future energy mix. It's an ongoing role, it's a consistent role in the future energy mix and, and does not take us back even to the bad world of the 80s, you know, when gas consumption minimized in North America, uh, but back to something much closer to what we saw not that long ago for the business, even in a strict decarbonization scenario. All
1: right, well, it sounds like a, uh, a lot of things for, for us to be watching, so, so thank you, uh... Thank you for joining me uh, to today, and I look forward to continuing the conversation and, and watching uh, watching the headlines and seeing whether things, uh, you know, if, if the love changes.
0: Well, I appreciate it, Phil, and I hope this is useful for your clients
1: and audience. Thank you. Yeah, thank you.
0: To read additional insights from our team of experts, visit our blog at www.ihsmarket.com slash you can also find our experts on social media by searching for IHS Market Energy on either Twitter or LinkedIn. Have a topic idea or want to send us feedback? Email our podcast team at energysense at ihsmarket.com.
1: This podcast contains information and insights copyrighted by IHS Market. To learn more about IHS Market Energy solutions, visit ihsmarket.com energy. That's ihsmarket.com forward slash energy.